0: Welcome to the San Diego First Church of the Nazarene podcast. We are a church that is in San Diego in the Point Loma area, located at 3901 Loma Land Drive. We hope you might consider coming to join us in person. We have done our best to provide safe space for those who come. We have uh, filter systems in our HVAC units that help us keep this place safe. Fans on, doors open. An expansive seating to allow you to spread out. During this time of a pandemic, we are trying to do what we can to create a safe space for you to worship in person, if that's something you would like. But if not, we hope you stay safe, take care of yourself and continue to visit the podcast as we dig into God's word together. I would like as we begin to start with a word of prayer. I invite you, if you're comfortable, to do particular motions that I will mention as I pray, and if not, that's fine too. I hope that this might be a time that sets your hearts up for um, hearing God's Word and for reflecting on the Word in a way that makes you all that God created you to be. Let's pause for a moment in a word of prayer, and if you are comfortable, I encourage you to cross your arms in front of you, either um, across your chest or however it might feel um, the position that would mark a defensiveness posture to you. And let's pray together. Lord, we come to these moments with our defenses high for whatever reason, but to step into a discussion of the word, we bring with us all the baggage of our day, our week, and in some cases, the baggage of a lifetime of hurt or pain or pain or uncertainty, wondering if you care, wondering if you know our circumstances, Wonder wondering if you hear our prayers. And so, Lord, in honesty, we confess that defenses, both some of which we are aware and others that are really beyond our awareness, but keep us from fully receiving your spirit. So, Lord, as we uncross our arms and relax them by our side, may this be a recognition to ourselves and a statement to you that we are trying to let go of those defenses to put them down so that they don't hinder hearing or receiving, particularly receiving your love and your grace and your forgiveness. So may you hear our prayer that your spirit might help us and enable us to take a deep breath, to breathe in your grace toward us, to recognize your love poured out for us. And so now, Lord, we actually extend our arms out toward you in a wide open manner an invitation to say, fill us with your spirit. Help us to receive from your word today what you might want us to hear. Not my words, but your words, whatever those are. So Lord, as I help us dig into the word, help me not to get in the way of what your spirit is at work doing. Our prayer is that you would hear our prayers. Help us with our defenses. Listen to our request to be filled with your Spirit. Give us insight that might prepare us for this week, that we might be a wonderful reflection of your love and grace. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, I would like to take us into a passage. We have been in a series for a number of weeks now in the book of Ephesians. The particular reading for today is Ephesians five fifteen through 20. I don't want to miss a couple of the pieces in this chapter that lead up to this passage. A couple of them seem very very important. In verse 1 it says, let's be imitators of God and live a life of love. This is really the setup for this chapter. And in some ways, is a culmination of many of the things that the writer of Ephesians has been saying in the four chapters that lead up to this chapter. Be an imitator of God, and let's be clear that God is love, and so let's live a life of love, and in so doing, we will be imitating our Creator and doing the very thing that our Creator has created us to do to love. I do like, however, in verse 14, there is an interesting phrase. It is um, a statement that basically says, hey, sleepyheads, wake up. In other words, there's a time to rise up and engage in what it is that you've been learning, a time to put into action the things that are in your heart. And so as we jump into this passage, there's a admonition to wake up, which is a little ironic in regard to a few of the things that I want to say about the passage that we're looking at, but let's pause for a moment and hear the word of the Lord from this passage. It's Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days, the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase in that closing section, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, is the source of the title of the message, it's time to make some music. But as a way by which to get to that point, let's talk about the admonitions or the admonishments that we find in this brief passage. There are three of them that stand out, kind of jump off the page, and they're all in the same kind of literary cadence. One is don't be unwise, but be wise. Don't be foolish, but be understanding. Don't fill up on wine, but rather fill up on God's spirit. These three statements that kind of juxtapose the don't do this portion with the instead do this portion. So let's let this be the framework of how we look at this particular passage this day. The first one is a call to be wise. And here's why he said it's a bit ironic that the writer says, Hey, sleepy heads, wake up. That's my paraphrase, wake up, O oh sleeper, is the way it's translated in the New International Version. But I would like to talk about wisdom and some of the latest sleep research. If you've been around me very long, you would probably know that um, I consider sleep one of God's great gifts. It's a gift we often overlook. It is the state of being in which we spend almost a third of our lifetime, and yet we give so little attention to it. It is such an essential part of who we are. It's non-negotiable. There's no way to work around it. Our body mandates it. Our journey as a species has been dependent upon it. It is essential. It reminds us of the importance of Sabbath and it doesn't allow us to not acknowledge the importance of Sabbath. We often think of Sabbath keeping as taking a day of rest, but there is a Sabbath living that causes us to take regular rest daily and to not short circuit that rest. One of the things that research has shown us is that when we short circuit or cut short our nightly rest, we are actually cutting short our life. There are longitudinal studies that have shown the correlation between those who shorten their time of sleep at night and their longevity in life itself. So it becomes imperative to recognize the incredible gift that sleep is to us, how it restores chemical balance, how it restores um, muscles and cleanses the body. It is the great health equalizer for us as we move through life. But there's also some fascinating research about wisdom. Um, Some of the latest research has focused in primarily on the time of our sleep that's called REM sleep. There are different stages of sleep. You probably know some of this. But one of the stages is REM sleep, rapid eye movement, and it typically is um, connected with the time when we dream. Now, all sleep through the night is not equal. The higher percentage of dreaming takes place toward the end of our sleep cycles. There are um, stages of sleep. And if we cut off the end of our sleep because we think we want to get up and get going, want to be more efficient, we are actually cutting off the highest percentage of a crucial part of our journey that has to do with problem solving and has to do with processing our memories. It is this stage of REM sleep, so much of it taking place toward the end of the night's sleep, that has been the subject of a great deal of research. And two things have come out of this. One is that the very traumatic experience or emotionally laden experiences we have, through the process of sleep, the the rough edges of emotion are relived during the night as a way by which to soften the edges of the emotion so that the actual experience can be placed into long-term memory in a fashion that actually helps us in the future. There's nothing wrong with emotions at all. They're an essential part of who we are, but when they're attached to experiences, sometimes those emotions, particularly if they're traumatic or dramatic, keep us from using those experiences in healthy learning ways, helping us to navigate the future experiences we might have. They just remain emotionally heavy and continue to traumatize. And so nighttime sleep sometimes relives those moments, begins to strip away the layer of emotions that are attached to the experience, and eventually file that experience in long-term memory as a learning tool. It's a really important and key component of dreaming and sleep. Another piece of sleep that is essential to our journey is the way by which these experiences move from short term to long term. And part of the long term memory is a process of recategorization or re-networking of memories so that we can link some experiences to other experiences and thereby learn and grow. Researchers, not in any way thinking of religious language, but have talked about this as the movement from knowledge to wisdom. The movement from having an experience to having that experience networked with other experiences in our life so that it actually becomes a tool for us to understand future experiences and make wise decisions. The movement from knowledge to wisdom. It seems to me that this great gift of God in sleep is itself a tool of moving from being unwise to being wise And all we need to do is acknowledge the importance of this gift and respect it for what it is, Sabbath living, as God has given us the privilege of sleeping and allowing our heart, our soul, and our mind to work together for the good of our future. So that's some of the latest that's in research piece. I would also say that there's another important part of wisdom And it's spoken of throughout scripture. It's also a way by which to tap into God's view of things. And that is to see the bigger picture of what's going on. How is what I am doing today contributing to that which is beyond me? Realizing that I've stepped into a storyline of redemption that long precedes me and will long follow me. I am a small piece of this storyline. What a privilege to be part of a story that's bigger than myself. That's the gift of God and God's work and the invitation for us to be part of it. So the admonition to move from unwise to wise is to move from the short term thinking of this particular moment and actually putting it in a bigger picture. As I was studying this passage, I came across some of the wonderful work of Julia Watson, who calls herself a nature architect. She's done a lot of work with indigenous people, seeing how they address problems with the simple architecture that might be indigenous to a local group of people. She's done some work with the Akasi people of Meghalaya, Magal- India, and I encourage you to look up some of the pictures that you can find of the work that they have done in a land that is considered the wettest place on the planet in India and the floods that come through that can wash out roads or bridges that can't stand up to the heavy rains and waters that progress through that area The pictures show how they have taken the roots of particular trees, rubber tree plants, and used their roots and the hanging vines and woven them into bridges, bridges that are alive. They have not cut the roots, they have just strung the roots together to try and create bridges across these waterways that won't get washed away by floods or rains. They are stunningly beautiful. But what's particularly amazing is that making this happen and creating these bridges can require decades. Work that might span 50 to 60 years. And so you realize that these people are building for the next generation. It's not a matter of putting up something rapidly in the matter of three or four months and creating something that will likely get washed away by the rains. They have learned to invest themselves in a storyline that's bigger than themselves and passing on to a next generation work that makes a huge difference in their local economy, and their ability to navigate that area of the world, in enhancing communication between villages, it is phenomenal. And it is based on a principle of a wisdom that looks at a bigger picture than my singular moment right now. God calls us into such an endeavor where the work we do, the seeds that are planted, that we capture a vision of all that's done before us and the shoulders of the people that have gone before us on whose shoulders we stand, that we might be so wise to do work that has a deep foundation, that thinks well into the future, that pays the price so that others might benefit from how God works through us. Well, The next saying that comes up is a call to be understanding. When I think of understanding, I think how important it is to remember the context of all that we've learned in Ephesians leading up to this point in time, the four chapters that go before this. Chapter one, if you remember from that, was about God's will, God's mysterious will. And yet the writer says that God's mysterious will has been revealed, and it's this. To bring everything in heaven and on earth together under one head, that is Christ. That's the mysterious will. The reconciliation, the unifying of all things in heaven and on earth under one head, Jesus Christ. That's God's will. And we are invited to participate in that process of bringing all things together. We are called to be those who unite, not separate. Those who build bridges, not destroy bridges. Those who hold others with sacredness and holiness, recognizing God's invitation to participate in the holy work of reconciliation. So that's God's mysterious will talked about in chapter 1. In chapter 2, it says that Jesus came and broke down the wall of hostility, actually destroyed the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, or Jew and everyone else on the planet. It is this amazing recognition that it's not by anyone's works lest anyone should boast. It's simply by what God has done through Christ Jesus. Those who put Jesus to death thought they were destroying Jesus instead through Christ's death the wall of hostility was broken and destroyed so that Jews and Gentiles all of us come to God on equal footing based on God's grace and God's forgiveness not on anything that I have done this is love unconditional nothing that I've done to earn it it's by god's grace we're invited to participate in breaking down walls of hostility as well because the walls that divide us are still there the walls that separate group from group person from person divisions within families within races within towns within communities and the work of the kingdom of god is to break down, to destroy these walls of hostility in an effort to bring about the mysterious will of God, unifying all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Chapter 3 ended up being a prayer of the writer of Ephesians on our behalf. It's a prayer that recognizes how easy it is to allow the circumstances of life to form my opinions of God, so that God becomes a creation of my own based on my experience, my circumstances that I'm facing. But instead, we are called to live a life where we see our circumstances through the lens of the transcendent, all-powerful, all-loving, all-holy God. This is a change in perspective and prayer helps us do that. Prayer invites us into that place where God becomes the lens, the glasses through which I see my circumstances and all of a sudden the circumstances seem less overwhelming because I'm looking at them through the lens of God's love, God's grace, God's power, God's strength, God's holiness. As opposed to the other way around. Finally, chapter 4 invited us all to participate in this. It talks about us being the body of Christ, but then it references us as ligaments, the parts of the body that hold everything together. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, but the invitation for us is to be active with our unique gifts, our unique talents, all of us contributing something different, all of us having a role but all of us through our gifts and talents and resources, providing the function of a ligament, holding things together, not keeping people out, pushing people apart, but instead holding us like the glue that unites. So this is what it means to be understanding in the context of Ephesians, understanding God's will, understanding our invitation to participate in what is what God is doing, our invitation to pray and see the circumstances around us through God's love, and for all of us to work together with our unique talents and gifts to bind the body of Christ. Finally, the third admonition is to be filled with the Spirit. And here there is an interesting, what seems to me to be an explanation I sometimes think of being filled with God's Spirit as just waiting for God to do something. And it is based on God's grace. And it's nothing I can do to get God's Spirit to move. But God's Spirit is willing. And so this invitation to be filled invites me actually to participate that there are things that I can do that allow God's Spirit to move freely. A couple of things are mentioned here. The first is an invitation to give thanks. Not just give thanks, but to give thanks for everything. Are you kidding me? Everything? It's easy to be thankful for blessings, it's hard in some circumstances to be thankful because it's tough to see what there is about a particular circumstance that merits being thankful. Some of the latest research on gratitude, an important virtue to work into our lives, is that as we practice gratitude, it not only benefits the person to whom we offer acts of gratitude or actions or expressions, but it also benefits us. The research says that it changes things within us. It changes our posture towards circumstances, our attitude, our sense of fulfillment. So it has a powerful effect on us. And yet the research goes further, and these aren't Christian researchers or religious researchers. These are independent scientists that have no religious underpinnings intentionally for their work in understanding the attribute of gratitude but have shown that it also has an impact on the community. That acts of gratitude foster other acts of gratitude within a community. One person doing it plants a seed that others will follow. It's as if it gets passed on or passed forward. It's a practice where the research actually supports what we've been saying within the faith community for so long, that gratitude changes us and changes our community. And it's true. And so the invitation here is to practice gratitude in everything. And we will see the Spirit is free to move through the networks of gratitude in ways we never thought possible. But it also makes mention of speaking to one another in music, What a powerful statement that is, speaking to one another with hymns and songs, spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Uh, It wasn't too long ago a message I gave, most cell phones have ringtones that you select and they often go off in church, it's not that big of a deal. But I think it was about two or three weeks ago, one went off right at an appropriate time, and it was the sound of crickets. And crickets is the sound that, for those who are speakers, or those who are entertainment, or comedians, or musicians, when they come to a crescendo moment and there is no response from a crowd, it's often referred to as, and it was just crickets. Well, this time, literally, I heard crickets while I was speaking. And in my head, my head's racing and I'm thinking, okay, this is a message from somebody that whatever I'm doing is dying on the vine. It is not good. Move on. Get to something that's more interesting. I don't know that that's what was intended. I think it was the ringtone of a call that came in. But in my head, I had a tough time concentrating for a few moments because I wanted to laugh out loud. I thought it was a very funny moment. Communicating with sound, how somebody feels the other day at home, I was with uh, my family and I was whining at the dinner table. And I was complaining about an extended family member that didn't follow through on something. And I had to pick up the pieces and do something in his stead. And I was whining about having to do that. And one of my daughters, um, very quietly pulled up on her phone an old song by a group called Steely Dan. I don't want to do your dirty work no more. And it started playing in the background. And again, I just laughed as my daughter perfectly identified my spirit and my attitude in that moment. But in a much better moment of mine, I had the privilege of being someone who was close to death. One of our congregational members. And I was alone in the room with her, and I had prayed, and I was simply reflecting. And I felt in that moment just to open up myself, as I mentioned in the opening prayer, with my arms outstretched. And I just felt from within me a song, and I'm not a very good singer. But in that moment, I quietly sang, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. And I continued that familiar song. And for me, I felt like the room was filled with God's spirit. And as I've thought back on those moments, I've wondered, when I'm struggling with somebody, when I'm finding a difficult circumstance or a relationship that's not gone well, what if I allowed a psalm, a hymn, or spiritual song to come to mind and to sing a blessing over that individual, not in their presence, just in my quiet reflection. If I were allowed if I allowed the spirit to work in such a way that a prayer came to mind, a a prayer of music, maybe those relationships or those circumstances would begin to transform because the spirit was free to move. The spirit was released. Free to fill not only me, not only the space in which I dwell, but the relationships in which I find myself, the circumstances in which I live. So that's my prayer for us, that we would be wise, that we would be understanding, that we would be filled with the Spirit, living a life of gratitude in everything and offering up words, songs, or psalms of blessing, a prayer over others that the spirit might be free to fill the place and to fill us so that it is a community we might grow together. So may God's grace be with you. May God's presence fill your days. May you find yourself moving more and more toward wisdom, giving yourself freedom to sleep, finding an understanding of God's will, having been invited to break down walls of hostility, by the love that you have, bestowed on you by God. May you be filled with God's spirit, and may you find this week that you are making music in your prayers and in your relationships. And through that, may you experience God's peace. God be with you. Have a blessed week.